Okay, and we're live. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to episode 13 of the Redesign Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ritwaj Gautam, and I'm, as always, joined by my co-host, Tim Rotolo. Uh, this is the podcast where we see, if we talk to enough smart people, will we understand something about the relationship between product and growth? And to that end, I'm very excited about the guests that we have today. Uh, I would love to welcome on the podcast, Wade Shearer. Uh, I had I had an opportunity to hear Wade speak at uh, a product hive event, which is you uh, so does like local uh, local product management and UX community, which Wade is also instrumental in, has been instrumental in help building, and uh, that's sort of where we connected. And he's got some phenomenal ideas and an excellent story about how he's built uh, an, uh, a different product process at Smart Access. Uh, so without further ado, uh, Wade, welcome welcome to the podcast. Uh, would love to uh, love to have you introduce yourself to the audience because invariably my guests do a better job at introducing themselves than I do. Thank you, Rit. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. Uh, this should be fun. Uh, yeah, I am a longtime uh, product and, and technology, uh, um, and I'm really about technology and I and mm -hmm. a designer of. Been doing this for almost 25 years now. Uh, I started out uh, specifically as a designer and doing user experience and over the time have transitioned into more of design leadership and then product leadership and uh, worked for a mix of companies, the both enterprise and uh, startup. So both seen both sides of the scale. Uh, I'm now at my third startup uh, but I've also worked for very large companies with thousands of employees too. Most of, right. most of that's been in B2B SaaS, but mm -hmm. uh, I also had one stint doing B2C, which was a lot of fun uh, at Vivint uh, doing nice. home automation and, and home security and was part of the team who uh, designed their, their new platform for controlling the, the home and uh uh, all of the aspects of that light control, thermostat, cameras, everything. And uh, I think everyone that's in B2B should uh, take a stint doing doing a little bit of B2C. There's there's something about that experience that I think is is, is really, really educational. For sure. Uh, I think I think uh, for us, right, like uh, at Trimata, we have we have two distinct user bases. So it's interesting, right? Like we're as a company, like where we make our money is a B2B use case, but we actually service a strong B2C use case with our tester panel uh, where, where we, you know, we need to make sure these people are getting the information they need, they're getting paid on time and they're able to like take tests efficiently. And uh, the B2C use case is very different. And uh, it's also humbling, I feel. Right. I feel like when you're B2B, you start uh, living in like this sort of glass cathedral kind of thing, like, you know, and and uh, ivory towering it a little bit and having a B2C interaction really, really humbles you. And you're like, OK, I need to optimize for much more than like, you know, I, I can't assume everybody knows what I'm talking about. When I'm talk and, and, and I think that that's super humbling. For um, sure. There's, there's something about people voting with their credit card that uh, makes it a little more real. For sure. <laughs> Uh, so uh, what, what I would love to do is, uh, I, I think for me, like what, what, when I heard you speak at, at the product hive conference and you were talking about the product process that you've built at smart access, yeah. um, I, I think, I think that was really innovative, but I want, I, I want to approach it from a, a slightly different angle where 
you've had this exposure to different like different sizes of companies and you've been either like a like a cog in the wheel like playing out it like you know uh, contributing to an established product process or at startups you've had more autonomy uh what what did you see across your experience in terms of how product is being built i know there's like a fair degree of variation right like from b2b to b2c but even within the b2b like different companies approach it differently what did you did you see a common thread of like hey this is this is like an objectively good way of approaching things and here's something that like a common pitfall that many companies fall into um what what would you say th- those would be the first thing that came to my mind when you were uh, asking that was the pitfalls so I'll start there and and that was i think one of the biggest challenges that companies have is the end-to-end workflows and stitching the whole user journey together. Um, Especially as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, it's hard to keep track of all of that and to stay focused on that. You know, when in the, in the very beginning, when you first create a process, uh, a product and, it's easy to think about, okay, somebody's going to onboard and then there's going to be their first experience. They're going to create their first thing in the system and then they're going to start doing this. And how do they, how do they move on to the next? But when the product gets so big that you divide into your second team and your third team and your fourth team, all of a sudden you have people that are focusing on something specific. And so you have to be very deliberate and really go out of your way to make sure that you're keeping track of all that. And, and you know, when I, I think back to the, the largest team that I've, I've been part of thus, thus far at, at scale was at uh, Workfront. Uh, mm-hmm. We grew from about 600 employees all the way up to 1,000 while I was there. Uh, the product organization was almost half of the company. We, we grew wow. to about 420 people and had about 26 product teams, separate product teams there. And we organized them in in separate portfolios and saw some very, very positive things from that and the the way that we structured it. But the challenge that we didn't crack, even by the time that I left there, was that overarching theme. And so still today, that's something that I'm I'm always thinking about is... is, um, how could we have done it better? <laughs> you know, I'm always, always thinking about uh, what could we have done along, along the way to have, to, to have reached it. We were talking about it all the time. It was on our minds, but it was hard to do. And, 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 and Workfront had an additional challenge that Workfront only has one product. And so it wasn't like, you know, we had Microsoft Office and, 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 and Xbox and, you know, different separate business units. It was one product, one um, monolith platform. And so you've got all of these people building, building against it. So that's my thought around one of the biggest challenges that I've seen in Mm -hmm. in career. Uh, Things that are working well, that are kind of themes that I've seen that are, that are positives. Uh, That would definitely be uh, empowered product teams. Um, I'm a big believer in that. And I have seen again and again, the, the things that come from that are undeniable. Uh, it, I, I don't, I don't see a way, an, an, another way you can build things quickly, you, even maybe faster. Um, if, if you, if you have someone that, that is just the, the, 
brilliant designer and the and the and the, the brilliant idea person that right. just this is what we're going to do. But I have just seen again and again that higher quality comes from bringing engineering, design, and and product management together and and working as true partners mm-hmm. uh, in in the in the process command. So that would be the first one. The, the second one would would be product discovery. I I I have been been working this way for uh, uh, a decade now, and where you provide specific space for discovery to happen and it set expectations for it to happen um, right. in parallel with your delivery. Um, again, great things happen because. You, you can't just tell your team, I expect you to talk to customers and I expect you to test things and I expect you to do research without providing a mechanism for, for that to happen. And so when you create a culture around that of saying, okay, we've got a discovery track and we expect the same people to be doing it. We're not going to outsource it to a research team or to a third party or to a, a subject matter expert or an, an, an analyst. Um, we expect you, each of you, even engineers mm-hmm. to Talking to customers and participating in this process and 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 vetting your vetting the ideas, uh, like it, just an example of how much I love this. At the bottom of our our one pager documents, which is is the artifact that we use to to communicate and drive the the research going through discovery, we have something called a learning log at the mm-hmm. bottom, and right. and. That, that's where we document those learnings. Where 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 we say, here was I here here was our hypothesis. Here's what we tried. Here's what we learned, and here's what we're doing different based off of the things things that we learned. And so, um, it's a way for the team to have uh, a, a a way to talk about that and to um, operationalize it, opposed to just kind of having that hanging over your shoulder of yeah, we yeah. should to customers <laughs> and <laughs> absolutely yeah. um, so so two, two things that I would love to delve a little deeper into and specifically with the context of uh, how you're doing it today at smart access is one what does it mean to empower a product team right mm-hmm. like is it just hey man I'm gonna give you near infinite budget to go and like buy whatever tools you want and like you know get as many people I, I, I don't think that's it but some people you know, might, might, might just be like, oh yeah, you know, like I, I, I give my product team a ton of budget and leeway or, uh, and that's, so that's one. And number two is in terms of, in terms of like the product discovery stuff, right? This, the ethos of that echoes with, I think a really popular concept in user research today, which is like democratization of research, right? Everyone, everyone's participating in this function, but uh, you know, there, there are also people that are, uh, kind of warning of the hazards of it because uh, you know it's something I like to think about is Newton sitting under an apple uh, apple tree when the apple hits his head it takes Isaac Newton to to make a conclusion about gravity versus the hazard of sitting under apple trees you know like there's uh, th- th- there's like a distinction there so how do how do you make sure that like the product discovery the learnings uh, are actually accretive to what you're trying to do. Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about the empowering. Yeah. Sorry to to tag onto your second question there a little bit, Rit, uh, because this is also a topic that's come up that's related and we've talked about it in prior episodes. You've worked at startups, you've worked at large, you know, thousand plus 
person enterprises. Yep. And wh- how does that differ? Uh, you know, when, when you ask the question about who is involved in the research, who should be involved in the research, um, is it different in a startup where you've got a very small, minimal team versus in a large organization where you might have much more highly specialized roles um, or do the same principles apply? So if yeah. we can just add that angle into that uh, when we get to that question. Yeah, let's let's actually do it in reverse. Let's talk about the research stuff first and then we'll talk about That's empowering great. product teams. Okay. okay, it definitely is different. Um, okay. One of the biggest challenges is you don't have the resources. You're not gonna have the tools and the budget Nobody's getting on an airplane, uh, even just synthesis tools. You know, uh, a lot of times you may not even have a wiki to put your stuff in and it's just stored in Google Docs. Right. So like you're going to have to be really scrappy depending on depending on your your stage. Um, we're still really early at Smart Access, so we don't even have some of the more traditional testing tools and uh um, a synthesis tools like, you know, dovetail or, 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 or things right now we're running our whole thing out of notion. Um, it's running, it's, it's great, but it's all manual. You know, we don't have any of the, the programmatic or even the AI things to help us with the synthesis. Right. Uh, we're, we don't have anything that's connected to all of our inputs, uh, like artifact, where you're you're pulling a, a, a live stream from from your your customer success and support channels and your sales channels and gong and everything like we don't we don't have any of that. Right. We can't afford it today. <laughs> right. So so it's, it's difficult in terms of, of the people doing the research. It's it is also very different. You don't have dedicated resources. Uh, you know, at, at Workfront, we had uh, dedicated UX researchers. Uh, uh-huh. I, I had someone there named Trey who was amazing building that program, right. te- teaching the team how to do research. Um, something that I am have a fairly strong opinion on is, is that uh, one of the primary responsibilities of dedicated researchers are to train, inspire, and support the product trio in doing research, mm-hmm. opposed to them doing the research and packaging it up and handing it to the team. Um, you'll hear me say it again and again, that if you outsource your research, you outsource your empathy. And, and so I, I feel very passionately that the teams need to have that direct connection. They need to be talking to the customer and experiencing it directly. Um, so what is the role of a dedicated researcher then? It's primarily to teach those people how to do it. Now, I know a lot of researchers that'd be like, I'm not interested if all I'm going to be is a, a, a teacher and a coach. I want to do research. And um, once you have trained them, then that's where you can step back and be a more supportive role and do more larger scale generative studies and things. And there's definitely place for that. It's just if I was building a team and I was right. bringing on a researcher, I would be crystal clear with them that what I'm looking for first is for mm-hmm. someone to come and help us to build the discipline and, and, and figure out how to uh, operationalize that and make it part of our process. Then you going and doing the, the larger, larger studies. Right. Um, something else that I would share when you're at a startup is I feel like you rely a lot more on the other disciplines in, in, in the organization as well, meaning sales and customer success, 
Mm -hmm. Depends on how large you are. If you even have those, you know, you may, you may not have dedicated salespeople yet. You may not have dedicated customer success managers yet, but once you do, because you're limited and because of just the pressure at a startup where you got to, you got to be hustling where we are, we are pressure pressurized to be fixing bugs and shipping new features so much that, that I, I find that we are relying on them even more so as, as, as being the voice of the customer and, 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 and providing that connection to us than, than I do when you're, you're larger um, and, and have more resources and can focus in doing more of the research yourself. Right. So I, I, I think like in terms of, in terms of like the democratization aspect, right? And and like having people, I, I love that thing of like you outsource your research, you outsource your empathy, right? Like I, I think there is there's something that's very true to that because you end up building products or like if someone's mandate is not about like, like solving this problem for the customer and it becomes very much like, you know, super siloed into, hey, like uh, improving this feature by changing X, Y, Z. And it's like so divorced from the customer, like the customer use case. I think I think that's where you might end up uh, building things that sort of miss the mark, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, I, and I love the notion of, of like baking it in to, to the ethos of the company. Now, coming back to like the, the first part of the question, like, so what does it mean to empower a product team? Yeah. And uh, have, have you seen instances of it uh, done poorly where someone like, you know, it's like the best intentions, but uh, yeah. it actually uh, kind of messed it up? Well, not just seen. I can give you an example of what I experienced, which okay. I think is awesome. even, even better. Even better. I, and, I, and I hate to go right back to work front since that's where we were, we were just talking last time. But um, it's related to that challenge of the overarching workflows. And because we were pushing so hard on this new model that it actually hurt us a little bit. So when we got to, to work front, things were more waterfall. Um, yep. We were a little more project management than product management. Uh, mm -hmm. Research didn't exist much. It was more just getting on the phone with customers and asking what they wanted. And, and so we started building in this research discipline. We, we formalized the product trio. We brought, uh, we, we implemented product discovery and delivery in this, that dual track process. And, and we got really good at it over the three years that I was there. Not only did we get um, really efficient and start um, fine tuning the machine, but even doing it at scale. So we took the trio concept all the way up through the organization. So each individual product team was, was, was led by a trio. And then, then those were organized into a portfolio. And each portfolio was led by a trio as well, a director of UX and a director of product management and a director of engineering. And then each of those portfolios um, uh, reported up into product leadership where you had a VP of UX and a VP of product management and a VP of engineering. So we were modeling good behavior and communicating that we were serious about that relationship mm -hmm. all the way down through the organization. And we, we then were really pushing on that trio over the portfolio to own their portfolio. We wanted them to come and tell us um, what are your priorities, almost 
creating a strategy for it and almost owning it like a separate business unit of saying, we right. want, you know, they, they didn't have PL, you know, uh, but, sure. but like, short of that, it was almost like, you own this. We want you to have your own metrics that you're tracking. And we want you to have uh, a, 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 a come to us with a plan of, of here's how we are going to meet these goals. And, and we were running OKRs. And so they had OKRs that they needed to deliver on. But the problem is, is it turned into too much empowerment. And so then we started asking that question of saying, have we empowered them too much? Have we given them too much autonomy? And right. I don't think we necessarily empowered them too much, but it was, it, it started to hurt us a little bit in the sense that, we really wanted them to just drive that thing and the challenge that we then realized. And so the last six months I was there or so, we were really starting to have these conversations of saying, okay, we want you to own that, but it only works in the context of the whole package. And, and right. so that's, that's the, 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 the thing that we needed to solve. And, and I don't have the exact answer for it yet uh, um, of own that within the context of the larger, the larger thing. So to get, to get a little more into the weeds of, of what the problem was with that, is it that, is it an information architecture problem of how things fit together? Or is it more of a user empathy of understanding what questions and needs people have as they transition between products? Is it a consistency of, of kind of the look and feel? What, what, what exactly was kind of the, the problem you know, when you had the more siloed, yeah. individually autonomous uh, product teams? Um, Workfront, for those who don't know, is a enterprise scale work management platform. So you think about something like Asana uh, or Trello. Uh, most people use those with a single team or at least within a single discipline. So like marketing is usually using Asana, usually have tech support using ServiceNow, usually have engineering use Jira. Uh, at least back then, before Adobe acquired it, uh, Workfront was solving all of those um, uh, needs. And right. so the, the whole sales model around Workfront is instead of just having your team work well together, how about you have your whole company work, work well together and you can, you can actually communicate across departments. Right. But that leads a, a platform that, and, and, and when I was there, uh, Workfront was um, 16 years old when I got there. So massive platform with a lot of functionality, but we had a ton of tech debt, uh, a lot to, to address. But the, the, the teams owned different pieces of the functionality, like, like file management or planning or proofing of of. of creative assets and, and, and different things. And so, but a user doesn't come in and just interact with one piece of that functionality. Um, they're, they're, they're touching across those portfolios within, within a day's work, maybe within 20 minutes as they're moving through, through the platform. And so that was the challenge that we had was it wasn't even just a UI thing, like you asked Tim, of 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 the interface and polish. I mean, we we had a major project there to do a user experience overhaul. Mm -hmm. um, did a, a brand new design system, uh, rolled that out, and and the, the the and launched that launched that new version of our platform, and it was 
smooth and amazing. The piece that was still missing is even if it looks consistent, that it's that the user doesn't spend their entire time in one, one part. And so it's the whole experience from first setting up the platform, onboarding, going in and creating uh, your, your first project and going and interacting, then, then interacting with all of these different elements and making sure that those workflows are intuitive and seamless and, and, and smooth. Right. Uh, so I, I had a question about, you know, the idea of, hey, like there's too, too much empowerment and, you know, they get to define their own OKRs and, and ultimately like the learning is, hey, this, this is autonomy and their OKRs, they, they, the autonomy is good insofar as it, it like it contributes to like the larger picture. Yep. So in your current position now, right, like where yep. you are, you are in charge of like kind of defining the larger picture yep. for your product team to go after, right? How do you how do you take a broad mandate, which could be something like like a growth driven mandate, and this kind of you know getting getting into what 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 we do, like uh, like in terms of redesign growth, right? Like the whole point of the podcast is how do you how do you make a product team consider the idea of growth, and how do you how do you disseminate that without it being like hey, like I I go to like some random PM, I'm like you got to increase revenue. And I just leave them with that. And like, you know, which is, which is a little chaotic. Like how do, how do you top down disseminate like a vision at smart access today? Right. And uh, what, what are some things that you do insofar as like, Hey, what do you hear from the CEO? And then how does that translate to a vision that you set for the product team? Yeah. Um, I believe one of the, if not the number one job of a head of product is Mm -hmm. to provide vision uh, and and then the space to successfully execute that in, and also guardrails. So I, I think that you, if you just provide the vision and say, "Have at it," yeah, that's that's not going to work. You you have your part of part of your job is to be like the the chief inspiration officer, like uh, to to rally the troops and to get them excited and and to you know, chief storytelling officer, right? Like the, your, your job is, is to tell them the story that they can, they can see the problem that we could solve and what the world would look like if I got there. But you've also got to provide some vision of how, how you're going to get there, right? And so it's like planting that flag off in the distance, but you kind of, you need to, you need to paint this loose, this loose path between here and there so that, so that they can, they can see that. And you heard me at the meetup to describing roadmap, kind of my philosophy on that, where, where I'm, uh, I I definitely have uh, allergies against traditional roadmaps. Uh, I, I, I don't like dates. I I don't like anything that looks like a Gantt chart. (laughs) Um, my teams don't spend time grooming backlogs and being Jira jockeys of, 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 scoring and sorting um, uh, things. And when I use the term roadmap, I, I think much more vertically uh, than I do do horizontally. And I, I include the vision and the strategy and those things in the roadmap, because to me, that is your, that is your roadmap. Like, like to, if, if someone asked your CEO what your roadmap is, that's what they would answer. And so like, right. I, I, I feel like when people talk about roadmap as, the list of things we're building and 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 which release it's going out in. I, I feel like it's so short. Like reductive. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like, it's like, how did we get to this state where that's what a roadmap has become when you use the word roadmap? Um, so, you know, part of my job has been working hand in hand with, with the, the CEO and the, the rest of the ex executive team to decide who do we want to be when we grow up? Like, what is the exact problem that we're going to solve? And, and our CEO, Tim, has, has a very ambitious, big vision of, of, of what he would love to change in the world. Mm -hmm. But we've, all, we've had to do a lot of work to pull that down into something of what could we do now? Because, it, you know, it, it's kind of like, like Elon Musk or something around like colonizing Mars. Well, okay, well, first we've got to build a rocket and first we've right. got to figure out how to do batteries and, you know, stepping yeah. back from that. That's a very similar exercise that we've, we've had, had to go through. Um, mm -hmm. And then I've led a lot of work of, of us then taking that and building out our, our strategy. Uh, we're not using OKRs right now at our startup, which is, which has been interesting for me because I've used them. Uh, yeah. All the time, right? uh, and, and, and even introduce them. I, I've, I've been a very big advocate, but we found that at our stage, um, it's not that I found anything wrong with them. We found that it was just an unnecessary layer. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're not even operating those. Uh, we're, we're just doing our, our strategy. And then we have a, a loose now, next, later roadmap uh, where right. I use that just as kind of that path guardrail tool I was describing. Mm -hmm. It's not prescriptive. It's not a, any guarantee. Um, and I've, I've made that very clear with, with even sales and, and success that this is, is, is me providing uh, direction to the team saying, I encourage you to look in this area. And these are areas where I think to, to reach our strategy uh, or execute on our strategy, I apologize, and reach our, our, our vision, achieve our vision that, that these are good areas for us to be, to be, to be looking at. And then inside of that, um, we're, as I had told you before, we're currently running six week cycles. Um, mm -hmm. within each of those cycles, the team has full autonomy to bring to the business, whatever they want, but they don't have full autonomy to do whatever they want. And so I, I think that's a good distinction. You know, when you're asking about, how much autonomy is right and how, how empowered are they? Um, they are completely empowered to go research whatever they want. They are completely empowered to bring to the business any bet that they think that we should make. But we uh, have a process in place for then re um, reviewing that content, challenging that content, providing feedback to the content and then making a, a, a decision as part of a, a product leadership team uh, at this stage, which involves the CEO of us saying, okay, what bets are we gonna make for the next cycle? And it, I just tell the team, if you want your thing to win, you just need to bring the data. You, right. if, if you can prove it, if you can say, this is what we should do, and this is why we should do it, and this is why we should do it now, it's, it's, it's going to win. And so it, it, it always comes down to that. It's not just an, an opinion thing of anyone is going to, anyone's idea is going to win. If, if you can bring the data that says, this is why we should, why we should do it. Right. I, I think, I think this is, this is excellent. Right. Uh, and, and it's something that really spoke to me and to color in the lines for the people that weren't at the, at, at the meetup, right. There's there, you actually have, 
you you have your team pitch like every like anything that needs to get built gets pitched to the entirety of the team right. right like and 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 then each each person that's coming in like each trio or whoever it is that's coming in with an idea they have to flesh it out they have to have the research to support it yep. and they all come in with it and then it's like all of these pitches compete with each other and then this and then the second thing i think that uh what you were talking about with the jira jockeys and and like you know grooming the backlogs is you have a no backlog policy which is 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 interesting and i i think a lot of people right uh get mired in backlog and and by the way like like to air my dirty laundry like i know for a fact that we have a backlog that we're you know we constantly contend with um and and it becomes like kind of the elephant in the room anytime we're talking about like exciting new product initiative it's like well shit i mean like you know we have this <laughs> like you know this this list of things that we we're never going to get to kind of so yeah. how like when you when you say no backlogs like can can you talk about what that means and how how do you go from a company if i if i tomorrow want to like break <laughs> break free of my existing backlog what's yeah. the best way to do that So I can't take credit for all of these uh, concepts or even terminology. A lot of this uh, uh, comes from ShapeUp and and Basecamp, uh, but not exactly. So, you know, they don't run dual track. They don't run um, product trios. Uh, there's, there's a lot of differences in the way that they work. But the concept of, of bets and pitching things and the betting table and and even six-week cycles is, is, is something that... uh we took from what they're doing and used to make to make our our process um but it's it's uh something i think that's really important about it is is the transparency part so everything that we do happens in the open um everyone in the business customer success sales everyone has access to our notion uh uh instance documents and, yeah. and everyone can see exactly what we're working on and every week even even though though they already have access i send out a weekly email to the entire uh company that says as a reminder here's not only what we're working on and the progress that we're making but here's what we're doing discovery on and here are the links and please go review it in in even its draft state as we are making progress we we so uh, desperately want and and need your feedback. We then have our betting table in front of the entire company. It is a Zoom call with the entire company. We use Miro and and have the board and throw uh little cards up there for every one of the pitches that have been presented. Uh everyone comes with a an appetite uh which is a recommendation of how much time we should spend on it. So, uh we we do fixed time variable scope. instead of the opposite which is the way most people work so we're saying we are willing to invest this much time on this thing and then when we're done we're done so we don't just keep rolling on week after week sprint after sprint sprint working on things when we're done we're done and then after that we decide do we want to work on it again uh and that that concept's called the circuit breaker which i'm a big fan in a, a big fan of I I think that it that uh it's something that every company should consider even even just as time boxing. So even if you right. weren't using a different you know using some of these principles and techniques that I've described just time boxing is important so that you say on this date we are going to stop and evaluate 
if we're achieving the outcomes that 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 we we intended to. Um, in terms of the backlogs, like you were asking, we literally don't have one. We actually, we really don't. <laughs> Some people find it hard to believe. Um, but each individual team can have their own lists sure. um, in terms of, but even those lists are very, very short of just, and I also encourage them to have expiration dates on them. Meaning right now, here's some of the themes that we're pursuing. Here's things that we are interested in and, and topics that, that are emerging as we're doing our research and we're, and we're holding our, our biweekly voice of the customer meeting and, and, and all of these things. And so then those ideas turn into discovery work. Mm -hmm. Pagers are written on those. Then those lead into things they decide to, to pitch because, you know, their confidence has increased to the level that they feel like this is something that they feel like we should do right now. And, and that's, and that's why we, why we pitch it. So right there in front of the meeting, we take all those pitches. We then just debate the, the, uh, the reach and the impact uh, and decide what we're going to work on. And then we plan out the, the cycle. We've got six weeks and six weeks only. We slot everything in there and decide who's working on what. And then we're, we're off to the races for, for our next cycle. That's awesome. I, I think, I think the idea of like, so yeah, how, how did, so today, right. Practically. And I think this is going to be yeah. useful for like a lot of people listening because having a backlog is, is the more common thing, right? Like pe people like that, it, it's kind of, it's kind of a standard. Like it's a lot of people, a lot of people have backlogs. So if today I'm like, okay, I'm inspired by Wade. I want to, I want to throw my backlog out the window. What does that look like? Cause that like, I, I can feel my heart beating faster. Cause I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's hard to get, it's hard to get like, let well, go of it. Cause there's the shit yeah. we want to do, but how, do, how, how would I, how would I start? Uh, the first thing is I, you, you would have to have the support of the organization. Uh, so that means your partner in engineering, your partner in design and, and things you, you, you have to make sure that, that they're on board because if you just tried to implement something like that, I think it would be, you know, just on your own would be extremely disruptive. Uh, right. as I had mentioned before, I had, a, I had a very unique opportunity where the business was ready for change. Um, in fact, part of bringing me on was saying, okay, our current process is not working. We need something new. And I was given a clean slate to come in and evaluate the team and then create the right process. Cause there is no one true way to do it. As I, as I've told you before, like that it's, it's, it's the right tool for the company at the right time and, and, and the right, and the right stage. And so this was, uh, felt like the right thing for them and it's gone really well. Uh, for someone else to to implement that, I I think that you the, the next thing that comes to my mind is helping people to understand how it will work so that they can have trust. Because you've got other parts of the organization like sales, customer success, if they heard that hey, we're not going to have a backlog and we're not going to have a roadmap, they're going to freak out. And they're right. and they're, they're going to tell the customers like yeah they're going to assume that you're insane right like like because it because it is so normal for that to yeah. happen right and and so you then will have to show them why and show them how they're going to have the things that they need because sales doesn't really care if you have those things all they care about is that they can know what's coming and they know what they can and can't talk about 
to customers. And so you provide that in, in different ways. And that's one of the reasons why I, I do have that now, next, later roadmap. You know, right. one of the reasons I told you was guiding the team. It's also a sales tool so that I have something to hand to them so that they know what we can and, and can't talk about and show that we're what direction, direction that we're going. Right. Um, another one is them being heard. So if, we, if they hear that you don't have a backlog, they're going to say, well, where are the things going to go? Because one of the biggest things that stresses out sales and engineering and other and, and, and support is when they bring something to you and it just goes off. Mm -hmm. Right. You say, you know, thank you for the gift of that feedback. And then it disappears. But if you had a roadmap that it could go into, they're like, OK, at least it's in there. It might be ranked 2712 down on the list, but right. at least I know that it's in there and maybe someday not true, but maybe someday it'll get built. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, and so some, yeah. things, so some things that we specifically do around that is uh, we have a, a channel in Slack that is product feedback and it is open to anything and everything. And we continually encourage people to go in there. If you hear something, you think of something, anything, you share it in there. And then we take the feedback out of there and we put it into a Notion database that is um, named the same, product feedback. Mm -hmm. And then we mark in there, um, is this new, is this reviewed, um, or is this closed? And so this isn't built. You'll notice that the statuses in there are not to do, in progress, and done. Right. It's we heard you, we're reviewing this, and then it's closed to let them know that they were heard. And then we linked to, from those things to the actual work that's happening and communicate back to them of saying, okay, hey, this thing's being done right now, or we're looking into this thing, or we ask questions in there, provide us more feedback. Can you give me an example of, of this? Uh, what ideas do you have? And, 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 and communicate back and forth with the, the different um, people in, in the company. Um, I also run a, a, a fortnightly uh, voice of customer meeting that I had, I had mentioned before. And that, not everyone in the whole company attends, but anyone's welcome to. But specifically, uh, I re have requested that the, the, the head of sales and the head of customer success uh, attend that meeting. And, and the, the, uh, the agenda for that meeting is that each one of those, those different uh, groups bring their top five things every week. And I, I love the constraint of having to be concise because you can't just bring your laundry list. Uh, it's, it's really bring me the top five things that you are hearing that customers are struggling with uh, mm -hmm. or would, would innovative ideas that would, would solve problems, right? For that, right. So, um, we, we, we meet every other week and, and they present those ideas. And then we, at the end of that, we go through a, synth uh, a quick uh, synthesis exercise where we talk about what themes did, did we hear across right. all of that? And uh, what things surprised you that people brought to this meeting? Are there things on here that don't align with our current roadmap? Uh, and then we also talk about research. So for the next two weeks, and this is where the product teams can speak up in that meeting, what, who, 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 who sorry, what customers are we already talking to? What mm -hmm. research do we need to arrange? And especially at a startup, it's really asking for help where we're saying, all right, 
at a startup, it's all hands on deck. We're all wearing multiple hats and we just need to be aware of anything that's happening. You're already talking to a customer this week. Let me piggyback on that call because we've got this particular thing we're trying to learn about or this screen we just need to test. We just have right. a prototype. We need something. You're already talking to them. Let me jump on that call. And I know some of those things aren't best practices. If you got a sales call, you don't usually want to be talking to a customer, but we, we're, we're, we're taking what we can get. It's crappy. It's, hey, you, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it is what it is. Like, I, I think I think the ability to be, like, it's 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 back, it's taking advantage of the fact that you're a startup and you can be nimble, right? Like, and, the, and like, I think, I think with that, like, comes, comes a bunch of benefits. Uh, yeah. Something that, that struck me is, um, I think, I think, you know, uh, and I'd love your take on this is, what if, like, during, during, like, you know, the product pitches, etc., and and like you know the product discovery right now that's like that's a mandate that you you've given to the product team uh do, do like and and right now it looks like like you know the sales and customer success can contribute through like the product feedback channel yeah. um do 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 the sales and customer success get to contribute in to the pitching in more of a hey like here's a here's like a path to dollars or like an impact assessment right like like a revenue or a growth impact assessment it's like hey if we if if this went through, I am like the sales teams like we're reasonably confident we could sell this for like X dollars or like the, the, the customer success team is I could grow this account by X percent or wh what have you. Right. Like is that does that does that detract from what you're trying to do with that effort or would that be uh, creative to it? No, not at all. And in fact, I wish we had time and 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 it, and it was effective on the podcast for, you know, because people, a lot of people are probably just listening to this, but I wish I could bring up our pitch document and actually show you the things that the teams have to articulate when they're pitching it, because it's dollars. It is how are we going to make money from this? What is the yeah. expected growth? Why, you know, why now? And, and, and so when I say that the, the teams are the, are writing these pitches, they're not the only ones. The product trio is specifically responsible to, so I expect them to be doing it, but they don't have a monopoly on it or, or, or it's not exclusive to them. Anyone in the company, and we, and I don't just say this as it's like, sounds nice. We yeah. have had non-trio people write pitches and bring them to the betting table. Um, and, and it's awesome. I encourage that and I love it when that happens. We could have a salesperson write a pitch. And it would be considered with equal weight as someone else on, on the product team. Now, it doesn't happen often, right. but, it, but it has happened. But I will say that while you know product managers and designers and engineers are writing these, they are collaborating heavily with those other people because they can't just go in a vacuum and write this whole thing up and just say, oh, here's how we would sell it, right? They, right. they have to get the feedback from, from the rest of the business if, if they want it to be taken seriously and for it to to make it through the betting table. Yeah. yeah. Well, That's a I really good like, process. I, yeah, I, I am going to raise the red flag here. We're past the 45 minute mark here. Um, um, is there any other urgent topic that we wanted to, to get through? I mean, we honestly, wait, we, we have to have you back for like an episode <laughs> two. Because like before yeah, we, we like started off, we wanted stuff. to talk about like, you know, how do you build like a product conference and community and stuff. We, did, we didn't even get close to touching upon that. And I think we do a shoddy job with the time left. So uh, I think 
Tim, you should. Uh, I think we. I think we should wrap it up and uh, uh, and yeah, t- bring this one home. I, yeah. I, I'd love to. Let's let's do a part two. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Well, yeah. Thank you so much, Wade, for joining today. Um, we'll we'll have you back. We really will. I mean, especially you being another Utah local guy. Um, maybe we can even do an in-person uh, episode. Yeah, like a Product Hive in-person podcast. Product with about, yeah, like a live fun. podcast in front of yeah. Product Hive meetup. Um, we'll, we'll have to discuss our, our, our possibilities and do something exciting. Okay. But, uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for sharing your wisdom and, and experience and, and uh, perspective on all these different product topics. I'm sure our, our audience has appreciated it and learned a lot from that. I know that me and Rip both have. Um, so before we do wrap up and, and end the broadcast, is there anything... Uh, that you want to take an opportunity to plug, to let the listeners know about, to tell them to check out, what should they know about you? Uh, definitely would put a, would take advantage of the opportunity to put a plug in for Product Hive, uh, amazing product community with uh, almost 8,000 members. Uh, we hold m- multiple meetups per month, uh, in person and uh, remote. So I would encourage you go to producthive.org and, 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 get involved with that. We definitely need more volunteers. Uh, and then also just got to put a plug in for the front conference. Uh, we, unfortunately it just happened a month ago. Um, <laughs> so I can't tell you to go get your ticket, but every fall we also do a workshop series. So that's frontutah.com. I would uh, encourage you to put that on your calendar and watch for the dates. The dates for the workshops should be coming soon. Yeah. And the Trimata team was at the most recent front conference it's a a great event and we do encourage everyone who's in the utah area or who wants to visit to come and a quick follow-up question about product hive the in-person events those are not just in utah right is that how many what states yeah yep uh in in multiple states i i I don't know if i'd be able to rattle all of them off the top of my head but but yes uh there are multiple states where we have chapters going on all right very cool well thanks so much again wade have a great friday and a great rest of your weekend Uh, listeners have a great weekend we'll be back with another episode same time same place uh friday and next week so we hope to see you then awesome thank you bye bye